Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Um, I want to give you a little bit of a kind of orientation to not only what's happening today, but kind of where we are as a church right now. We are beginning today a new sermon series that's going to go through the month of April that we're calling Getting Started. And it really is kind of like, a, like an instruction manual of sorts to how you begin the Christian faith, right? And all of us have dealt with instruction manuals at some point or another, kind of a relatable idea, right? Like you think about um, if you've ever bought anything with electricity, right? There's always some little folded piece of origami paper, so small, and it's written in 12 languages, right? And you open it up, and the first couple of pages are all the ways you could kill yourself if you use this product the wrong way, right? It's a little instruction manual. Then it tells you how to get started. Or if it's not that, it's, um, you know, maybe you got married. You're like, we need some new furniture. I know what we'll do. We'll go to Ikea. And so you went to Ikea, and you got furniture, and now you're in couples counseling, right? Because the instructions are just the, the getting started is like the Swedish cartoon character scratching his head, and you're supposed to figure out how to put 6,000 pieces together, right? Um, we've all had instruction manuals, and here's the reality, though. In, instruction manuals seem to come with the little things in life, right? The things that we buy, right? Those seem to, those seem, we get instructions for the little things, but we never seem to get instruction manuals for like the big important things in life, right? When you have a baby, I've had four of them now, no, it hasn't happened once as I'm leaving the hospital. They didn't go, oh, hey, here's how to do this, right? Nope, they just say, good luck, right? Or when you're, when you're graduating high school, you know this, you don't get an instruction manual on life to live now. No, you get 20 bucks from somebody and all oh, the places you'll go by Dr. Seuss. You're like, no, I really need to know where to go. Like, <laughs> can't go back in there. They won't let me back now, right? You need to know. It's that, look, I've seen this so many times. I feel like that's a lot of the way a lot of people approach God. Like maybe you're here today because you're like, I think I'm going to give this thing a chance, give God a chance, but just tell me where to get started. I know there's this Bible, but this Bible is sprawling. It's long. It's, it feels a little odd in some places. And I actually know, I haven't read a book since college. I just need to know where do I get started? That's the idea behind this series that we're going to kind of get started together. So I'm going to issue a challenge to you. Some of you, um, you don't have coming to church as a regular rhythm, but you're here on Easter. Here's my challenge to you. This series is going to cover the month of April. All right, that's five weeks. My challenge to you is to stick it out for five weeks. All right, every single Sunday, being here listening to what it means to be a Christian, to live the Christian life. Listen, if, if eternity really does hang in the balance, the month of April seems like a pretty good price to come and listen and figure this whole thing out, all right? And for those of you Christians that are like, yeah, I probably already get this stuff, I know some of this stuff, I would challenge you and say, look, we're gonna make this thing as easy and simple and clear as we can to understand so that you can turn around and use this with friends, family members that may never ever walk into a church, but you can be able to help them understand what it means to walk with Christ. So should be a good series for all of us. Um, really, we've just been planning it for a while and are pretty excited to finally jump into it. Listen, part one in this whole Getting Started series, is the gospel message itself. That's what we're doing today. You've already heard the beginning, creation, 
the part where Pastor Scott talked about the fall, and now we're moving into and spending the bulk of our time in redemption. That's what I'm going to be talking about. Um, listen, at the core of Christianity, at the heart of it, it's not a set of doctrines, okay? It's not a set, a set of theological statements. It's an event. At the core of what we believe, down at its most foundational level, it's an event, and it's the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is what all of Christianity hinges on. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to show you the account written in Scripture of the first people to witness the death and resurrection of Jesus, the first Easter. And I want to take some time and see how they responded. And then after we see how they responded, that's going to set us up for how are you going to respond to Easter? And that's the challenge to you and I today. How will we respond to it? So first, we're going to look at how the first eyewitnesses responded to Easter, okay? If you have your Bible, Luke 24, you can get your Bible out, flip it open or turn it on, whatever version of the Bible you have, scroll down to Luke 24. We're going to be in verse 36. If you don't own a copy of the Bible, listen, we've got Bibles. As soon as you leave today, right out on the right-hand side of the, of the wall there, there's a table with brand new Bibles there for you because we want you to read your Bible, know your Bible, right? Be able to do that more than just on Sunday mornings here, all right? So here's the setting as you're getting set up there. I'm going to basically recap Luke 24 up to verse 36, okay? What it's actually even more further back than that, but Jesus, the setting is Jesus has died on the cross, okay? The disciples watched it. He definitely, he definitely died. There are a lot of other people watching it. He was taken off the cross, right? They, they speared him in the side, blood and water poured out. He was clearly dead. They took him off the cross. They put him in a tomb. And now in Luke 24, it's the third day. It's Sunday for them, which is kind of like, uh, it's the first day of the week. That's like our Monday. Some of the women in the Jesus movement, they had gone and earlier in Luke 24, gone to the tomb to treat, take care of Jesus's dead body. And when they got there, they found the tomb to be empty. And there was an angel sitting there saying, no, no, he's not. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is risen just like he said he would rise. So the ladies go and tell the fellas. And they say, hey, he's risen from the grave. And the fellas, these would be Jesus' disciples, they doubt the women because they haven't learned that women catch on much faster than men, and so they're, they're a little slow. Well, then Jesus appears, sort of the second movement in this chapter in Luke 24, Jesus appears to some of the disciples on the road, and now, here in our kind of final scene, really the third of four scenes in Luke 24, now they're all in their, one of their homes talking about the empty tomb, talking about this stranger they met on the road that they realized was Jesus. And so talking together in this home, here's verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. <laughs> but they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. You see what's happened, right? Like John's gospel even goes the extra mile to say that the door was locked to the room. Out of nowhere, Jesus appears. He is alive. Y'all listen, this is the claim that you who are Christians have staked your life on. I just want to take a second and celebrate it here with you this Easter morning. Jesus is alive. He's alive. But y'all, the disciples couldn't believe it. They weren't expecting it. The women weren't expecting it either. They went to the tomb with burial spices to treat a dead body. 
They were not expecting the tomb to be empty. The disciples were not really expecting the tomb to be empty. And so they're shocked. Listen, the way um, I heard Andy Stanley, a pastor down in Georgia, he said it. Maybe this will help you understand it. He said, nobody was expecting nobody, right? Kind of makes sense. Nobody expecting nobody. My boys will be able to hang on to that. I promise you. They weren't expecting it. So naturally, their first instinct is fear. And listen, some of you came in today not expecting God to move in your life. And maybe that makes you back up a little bit. Maybe there's a little bit of fear there. But God is going to surprise you just like he surprised these disciples. So their instinct is fear. It must be a ghost. And then verse 38, he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? I want to pause right here to give some of you the chance to hear Jesus' question as a question to you. Why, do you. why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? When you are hearing about Jesus' resurrection, that he really physically died, and he really physically rose again, it seems impossible. I mean, even to the disciples who had heard Jesus say for three years, I'm going to be delivered over into the hands of sinners, I'm going to be killed, and then I'm going to rise again. In fact, just a few verses earlier, when they encountered this stranger on the road that turned out to be Jesus, here's what they said. The stranger's like, what's going on? Why are you guys so sad? And they say to him, well, there's this man, Jesus, this prophet. He was awesome, and we thought he was going to be the Savior, and he died, and he told us that three days later he would rise again, and here we are on the third day, and the tomb's empty, but we're just not sure because we hadn't seen him, right? They're still not expecting it. They wanted to believe, but just couldn't. And that's where some of you are. You want to believe, but you're like, ah, I just can't. All the evidence you know of, the laws of nature, all say that dead people don't rise three days later. And because that mountain, mountain of evidence is against this being possible, you're like the disciples right here. You doubt it. Now, some of you, you're not Christians yet, and that's understandable. You need to be convinced. I'm hoping today that you will be. But some of you are followers of Jesus, yet if you are honest, you have a tough time actually believing that he got out of the grave. And that's a pattern for your life. You don't fully trust God, and so you don't fully follow him with your life. You sit on the fence, right, as a Christian. You're in when it's easy, you're out when it's difficult. And you may not realize it, but that halfway in Christianity really stems back to you not being fully convinced that Jesus actually got out of the grave. Because if he got out, if he got out, then he's God. He's God, period. And if he's really God, that means he's really in charge of your life. So, so catch this. Your doubt in the resurrection is actually your way of trying to maintain control and authority of your life. Because if you believe that he got out of the grave, then your life is his and he's in control. We're going to come back to that in a bit. Verse 39. Jesus says to them, look, guys, see my hands and my feet, that it is I, myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. He wants them to see. Oh, he's not a ghost, right? He's human. He shows them hands and feet. John's gospel says he shows them his side. He's showing them the wounds that killed him. You know, nobody has a problem believing that Jesus was killed. So Jesus says, look where they killed me. And all that's left apparently is a little scar. Because that's all that death managed to leave on Jesus was just a little scar. And in fact, the only reason the scars are even there is for the disciples' sake. Verse 41. 
while they still, look at this, while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, they still just couldn't get around to believing it. He said to them, okay, you got anything to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. They still, apparently they needed to see his digestive tract functioning properly in order to finally come around. But look what's happening. He's eating with them. You see where they are? They're back at the table with their master. See, the last time they were at the table with their master was what we often refer to as the Lord's Supper, where it's the last time he ate with them and he told them, I'm going to be delivered over into the hands of sinful men. I'm going to die, and three days later, I'm going to rise again. And there was fear there, but now these things have come true, and they're back full circle now with him, the risen Savior, sitting at the table with their master again. And now at the table, here's what he says. Verse 44, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That's saying everything in the whole Old Testament. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, finally, here at the end of this long Easter day where they have encountered Jesus multiple times and still not believed, here and now, now he was ready for them to understand the whole story of Scripture had been building to right here. Y'all, this is one of the biggest problems people have understanding Christianity and believing it. Why did he have to die? I mean, why would he have to die? And for the third time on Easter, God reminds his closest followers why it had to happen. The followers who walked with him for years, they needed to hear it multiple times in one day before it set in. Listen, maybe that's you. Maybe you've been to Easter a bunch of times. We're in the South. That wouldn't surprise me. You've been to Easter services many times, but it still hasn't clicked yet, hasn't set in yet that he died for you. And maybe today God is going to awaken your heart and mind. Listen to what he says. Here's what he says why. Verse 46, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Here's what I want to do. I want to lean in right here and explain this gospel message for you. We're in this, this movements of the gospel and here in redemption, I want to explain redemption to you. The gospel in just a phrase is this, Jesus for you. Let me show you the gospel in these two verses. Verse 46, Jesus says he should suffer. And the suffering, it starts at his betrayal where one of his own disciples will hand him over to his authorities, to the authorities. And the authorities treated him as a criminal, though he was innocent. And they condemned him to death. Listen, the gospel is that Jesus was condemned for you. Every single one of us has sinned at some point in our lives. We've known what is right, and we've chosen what is wrong. And we're guilty because of those sins. Look, even if you live in a relativist world, this, I found this to be true about the human experience. Even in our today relativist world where there's no real, what's right, what's wrong, all truth is relative, everything else. Here's what I found. When we sin, when we do what is wrong, when we know what is right, we feel guilty. We all do. You know why? That guilt is like a tuning fork built into the human heart and mind by God himself. Your sin is a rebellion against God, and now you feel guilty. And the sentence 
For your rebellion, God says, is death. That's the sentence. That's the condemnation. But Jesus steps in and says, no, 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 no. I'm going to take your condemnation, right? You're not going to be condemned anymore because I will be condemned for you. And that means he pays the penalty for you. See, the gospel says that Jesus died for you. He was betrayed for you. He was condemned for you, and he died for you. He was beaten. He was crucified, not for his sins. He was perfect. He had no sins to be punished for. He was punished, beaten, hung on a cross, tortured, killed for your sins and mine, not for his own. That's his love for you, substituting himself for you. Even if you've never really engaged the Bible, you've probably seen this verse plastered somewhere or they're on a, an overpass or anywhere else, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, the world is all the people, <laughs> that's the world, us, that he gave his only son, that whosoever should believe in him will not perish. See, we are supposed to perish for our sins. We are bound for death as a result of our sins, but we instead don't perish because Christ perished for us, and instead we have eternal life. That's what it means, believing in him. Hear me, church. You don't have to suffer for your sins. Some of y'all really need to hear that today. Some of, I know the guilt some of you are carrying around is unbearable right now, and I want you to hear forgiveness is offered to you. It's offered to you. You say, I'm not worthy. <laughs> My sin is too great. Listen, you're, you're right that your sin is great, but don't you dare say your sins are too great. God went to the greatest lengths possible for you. He paid your debt with his life. He died for you. So now listen to me. When you believe that that was for you, that's right there is where you have redemption. Your sins are forgiven. Because listen, while you didn't go up on the cross, your sins did. To believe the gospel is to believe you were spared while your sinful old life was put to death. That's why you can't have the gospel without the resurrection. He didn't just die for you. Three days later, Jesus said he had to rise from the dead. Why? Why does he have to rise from the dead? Because it is there in his resurrection that he defeats the power and the curse of sin. He defeated death. See, the gospel says he was condemned for you, that he died for you, but it also says Jesus rose for you. And when you understand this, you understand that Jesus defeated the power that sin has over your life. There is no gospel without the resurrection. There's no Christianity without it. 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle Paul says, if Jesus didn't get out of the grave, he spends a very long chapter saying this. It's like 60 verses to say, if he didn't get out of the grave, we are to be most pitied. We are fools. Because if he didn't get out of the grave, then we are still in our sins. Because Christ didn't defeat death. It's his death and resurrection that frees us from the curse of sin. That's the gospel message. His condemnation, his death was in your place, and his resurrection offers you new life. This message is foolishness, unless this really happened. And I know some of you might struggle 
like the disciples did, to believe the resurrection really happened. You don't see Jesus walking around. You're like, man, if Jesus would just appear to me like he did then, then I'd finally believe. Look, I'm going to give you a couple of reasons I think you can believe this, but first I want you to hear something. One of his disciples says that very thing, Thomas. He says, if I could just see him, then I'll believe. So Jesus appears to Thomas. And you're like, yeah, I want him to do that for me. And then he looks at Thomas Thomas, he says, no, no, no. You see, you believe because you see, but blessed are those, blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. There is something greater about the power and the victory in Christ available to you, not in seeing Christ, but in believing in what he's done for you. But let me give you a couple reasons why I think Jesus' resurrection is a historically reliable fact that you can put your whole weight of your life on. Here's the first one. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Y'all, listen, they are just too counterproductive to be a legend, to be made up. Many people in our culture today believe that the Gospels were written as a power play by the authors who were trying to assert their leadership, their view of the world. They're trying to push forward a certain religious movement, and the resurrection was made up. It's just a made-up thing to kind of help that power play along. But if you read the Gospels, look at what they record in there. There's some very embarrassing events and comments if you're trying to put forward a great leader and his knights of the round table. I mean, Jesus himself, the leader, is in the garden right before he goes to the cross. You know what he says to God? God, please don't let me do this. Take this cup from me. Not my will, but yours. But God, will you let me do it? Listen, why put that in there if it didn't happen? Because it makes Jesus seem weak. Women were the first to discover Jesus at the tomb. Why make women the heroes, the first to believe in the resurrection, in a society where the status of women was so low, their testimony wasn't even admitted in court? Why depict the apostles, the future leaders of the movement, as petty, jealous, and in the end, cowards who either actively or passively reject their master? Peter, I mean Peter, the guy, denies Jesus three times at a pretty crucial moment. Why put that in there? Well, because that's what reporters do. They report and record what happened. It doesn't make any sense unless it really happened. Here's the other reason I think you can believe the resurrection. The gospels are too costly. I don't even say the gospel message itself is too costly to be a legend. If you believe this didn't happen, this resurrection, that Jesus wasn't seen by 500 witnesses over 40 days following his resurrection, you were forced then to believe these authors knowingly lied about it. And you, the natural response will be, well, yeah. They would get something good if they lied about it, right? It would advance their cause in some way. Listen, no, they didn't get power, money, fame, anything like that. On the contrary, they were marginalized in their society, ostracized, and many of them killed. You need a motive for making up something like this and going all the way to the grave with it, and they had none. The only reason they wrote it down is because it happened. Now listen, on the other hand, if the resurrection is indeed true, Christians have great reason to hope. And I want to show you a couple of those right now. Let me show you the hope of the resurrection. If the resurrection is true, Christianity offers the only real hope of life after death. Y'all listen. Uh, recent studies have confirmed what previous studies are saying, which is that 100% of humans die. Okay? It's just going to happen. And one of life's greatest questions is, what happens to me when I die? 
You can ignore that question right now if you want to, but you know it matters when you are really honest with yourself. And the older you get, the more fragile you understand life to be, and the more the question haunts you. And then Paul speaks into that question, speaks into that haunting feeling of uncertainty, of not knowing what happens when I die. And he says, in Christ, to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. You hear that certainty? That's because of the resurrection. Death has lost its sting, Paul says. Sin, which once separated us from God, as you heard Pastor Scott talk about in the fall, it no longer separates us from God. When we die in a moment, we are with Christ. You have eternal life with God. Listen, when I came to Christ, it was as a teenager. And there's a guy is in a room just like this, and he was talking and he asked the question, if you were to die tonight, do you know? Do you know for sure, for certain, that you would be with Christ in heaven? And I realized I had grown up in church, that my parents took me to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, everything else, and I'd just been kind of like riding my parents' faith, right? I was just kind of around. I was uh, an observer, if you would, just there, but it wasn't mine. And I realized I needed to believe this for myself, So I walked down to the front of that room that night to publicly acknowledge I need Christ's salvation, Christ's redemption for my sin. And listen to me, one day you're going to stand before God. And the only answer to why he should let you into heaven, you, a rebel who do not deserve heaven, the only answer you can give is Easter. That's it. That's all you've got. You can't earn God's acceptance. Your sins far outweigh your good deeds. But Jesus died for you and then he defeated death and you can receive that gift of salvation and stand before God and say, it's not because of me, but Easter. Not because of me, but Easter. Y'all, I'm still a sinner, but I have found hope and joy in this life as my eyes are fixed on the next one, which takes me to my next point. If the resurrection is true, Christianity offers true power for life now, new life now. See, when I was asked if I died tonight, well, that question is fair. It's actually incomplete. The other half of the question should be, if you wake up tomorrow, will anything be different? And this is where the resurrection of Jesus gives Christians incredible power for new life. Paul says it in Romans 6, 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. This is why when we do baptisms, we're going to be doing baptisms at the end of this month as a response to this gospel message. We were buried through baptism into his death. That means we put you under the water to symbolize the grave. But then what does he say? In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, so I pull you up out of the water to symbolize that you're uniting with him in his resurrection by the glory of the Father, we too, we too, We get to walk in newness of life. Paul says believing in his resurrection for you, that belief is what releases that resurrection power in your life. By believing that God has put to death the sins of your past, you are able to live in new life in your present. Did you catch that? Believing what God has done gives you the power to go and do, but you have to lean the weight of your life on it. I think about, the way I think about this, uh, my old pastor used to talk about it like rock climbing. I've never done actual rock climbing, but you know those fake walls that you can go and do? 
done one of those, right? A couple of times. And you get up there to the top, woo, you ring the bell or whatever's up at the top, right? But then they say, okay, here's the way you come down. You can come down one of two ways. You can kind of like shimmy back down the rock and you look kind of silly and you bump against all the things on the way down. Or the easy way and the fun way is to lean back and let the rope hold your weight. But that's kind of scary. To lean the full weight of your life on that rope and let that rope do the work for you. But that, friends, is the gospel message. You can't find salvation on your own. You have to lean the full weight of your life onto Christ. Let him save you. The only way to get better is to realize you can't get better on your own. You have to let Christ do the work. Listen, some of you Christians, you can't seem to shake sin's grip on you. And I want you to hear Jesus went into the grave with your sin, but he came out of the grave without it. And he says your old life was buried and you get new life here and now among the living. And I want you to realize, maybe you need like this mental picture that when you return back to your sin, back to that addiction, I know in a room and in a morning uh, that we're having this morning, there are people in here with drug addictions, alcohol addictions, porn addiction, and every time you start to drift back into that, you are crawling back into the grave that Jesus brought you out of. There's nothing for you in there. There's death. That's all that's there for you. Stop crawling back into the grave and walk with your Savior in the new life he has given you. What are you going to do with the death and resurrection of Jesus? The gospel is that he died for you and that he rose for you. But to know it is not enough. I feel like the best, just one verse summation of how we deal with the gospel is Romans 6.23, where it says the wages of sin is death. So what you earn, your salary for sin is death. That's physical death and that's eternal death, separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. God extends salvation to us as a gift. As a gift. Listen, you got to receive that gift. I was reading, um, I love, as you've been around a little while, you know I love history, especially American history. And I um, was reading back, came across an old Supreme Court case. Don't ask why I'm reading old Supreme Court cases, but I was just doing some reading. This came across the thing. It's fascinating. There's a guy named George Wilson, okay? This is 1830. George Wilson, this is a guy who had been convicted of grand theft and assault and was now on um, death row. Life in prison, most likely going to be, um, be killed for his crimes, okay? And what happens is kind of out of nowhere, he gets issued a, the president at the time issues him a pardon. Now, if you know what a presidential pardon is, it means that you get out of jail, right? You're done. You get to walk away free. Now, the thing that took this to the Supreme Court was that Wilson rejected and refused the presidential pardon. And there was no record of it happening before. So his lawyers are like, what? You can't do that. You're going to die. And so his lawyers take it to the Supreme Court to try and convince the Supreme Court to force him to accept the pardon. Okay, and then this is the um, majority opinion from the Supreme Court. This is the Supreme Court's words. Um, I've got this, by the way, cited. If you want to go back and look up more later, you can get it from the manuscript online. But li listen to this. It's up here on the screen, too. The court said, a pardon is an act of grace, 
which exempts the individual on whom it is bestowed from the punishment the law inflicts for a crime he has committed. You guys understand that's what a pardon is. A pardon is a deed to the validity of which delivery is essential and delivery is not complete without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered, who it is offered. And if it be rejected, we have discovered no power in a court to force it on to him. That's fascinating. That's fascinating how, just how much that mirrors what's in front of us today. Christ has offered you a pardon. He has paid for your sin. It is a gift that is being extended to you. Will you receive it? It's not enough to know it, to be aware that Christ died, even to be aware that, and to say, you know what? Yeah, he rose again. No, no, do you believe that he did that for you, for your sins? He offers you a pardon. Many of you know that. You just assume automatically it applies to you. It's not true. You must receive it. And that's where you find redemption. Y'all, I know God is working on some of you. I saw it in the last service, several people that gave their lives to Christ finally said, I am going to receive the forgiveness that he offers me. Luke 24, the author says that over the course of Easter day, Jesus warmed up their hearts to where, and opened their minds to where they could receive this. I believe that's what he's doing for some of you. You need salvation from your sin and today you're seeing Jesus is that way, the only way. And I'm here on the other side of what Paul's saying. And the other Christians in this room are just on the other side saying, listen, don't, don't hear this in vain. This is 2 Corinthians 6. Don't hear this in vain. Today is the day of your salvation. Don't hear what's offered to you and just go, oh, I'll get around to it. You must receive it. How? How do you receive something offered by God, this gift of salvation? It's Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Because the mouth is just confessing. It's just confessing what the heart believes. 